Sermon title today is called Shut Up, Devil. Just shut up. We're going to talk about him for a minute. Get you free. Hebrews chapter 9. Father, as we open up the word today, I'm going to ask you to give me revelation. Give all of us in this room revelation of what you did for us at Calvary. And what it means to be washed in the blood. And how significant that is for us in our walk with you. And I plead the blood over this church and over everybody in it. And I thank you for the souls of every man and woman in this building. Every boy and girl. I claim them for the name of Jesus, for the kingdom of God. Satan, get off of them. And I cover them in the blood. I cover their homes, family, and children in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says, and, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. One of the things that I think that American Christians have failed to understand is the Bible is a blood covenant. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to you and I because in America, we don't practice blood covenants. American Indians did. You can go to Africa and preach on blood covenants. You can get people saved because they still practice them. They understand them. In the history of the African continent, there has never been a recorded issue of one man or one woman ever breaking a blood covenant. It's never been done in the history of the world. Now, in America, we think that's kind of a tribal right, something they do in India and Africa and third world nations, but it's been going on since the Garden of Eden. God is the one that introduced man to a blood covenant. We also read last week and we studied last week about how the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Now, I want you to think about what I'm fixing to say because this is extremely important. The children of Israel were not better people than the Egyptians. They had a covenant. The Bible says that they prayed and God remembered his covenant he made with Abraham. We're sitting in a church today and the people that are sitting here, we're not necessarily better than the people out in the world. There's a, but God sees a difference. If you're born again and you're washed in the blood, God treats you different than he does other people. Not because you and I are better, but because we've entered into a covenant with him. And so you understand that when Jesus was at the table and he was taking communion, what we call communion, he said, this is a new covenant. He, he cut a brand new covenant in his blood, not the blood of an animal. And yet that started a brand new time period in history. Everything in history revolves around Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Everything. God's timetable, all of history, all of mankind, everything revolves around that day. And so that's why our calendar revolves around that day. It's, it's 33 years off. I personally believe God's timetable started when Jesus rose from the dead, not when he was born. That's why if you're looking at, you know, 2018, this is not 2018. Y'all are thinking, aren't you? Okay. Not according to God. That's the reason why you think 2,000 years came and went. What happened? Hadn't come. Okay. Hadn't got here yet. 
All right, Hebrews 9 says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, in church today, we have a problem. It's not a bad problem, but it is a problem. We have scriptures in our Bible that we read them and they make no sense to us. We just read over the top of them and we go, I don't know what in the world that word means, but we just read over the top of it. We kind of skip it and go on to what we do understand. So what does remission mean? Remission. Well, I'm going to read you so you'll know. I'm going to read a definition, and I want you to understand this. Remission is more than forgiveness. When we read about the word forgiveness, do, do not interchange the two words. Up until Jesus died on the cross, no man's sins were remitted. Man was forgiven, but his sins were never remitted until the blood of Jesus. Abraham was not a born-again man. David was not a born-again man. When Jesus forgave the man that came down through the roof, he's forgiven. He was not redeemed. Only way to get redeemed or, or have your sins remitted is through the blood of Jesus. So I'm going to read to you what it means. Remission means cancellation of penalty and removal of guilt. It's the canceling of a penalty, completely annihilating it so that it doesn't exist any longer. Now, when a doctor says that a person's cancer is in remission, what that means is that cancer has stopped working. And when it says it's in remission, means it's dying and no longer affecting the person. Sin inside of a person has a negative effect on them and the damages are off the chart. So unless there's a way to stop the power of sin, that sin will kill you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And I say what I'm going to say with grace because we have a lot of people, they walk in this church, they're not born again, they do not understand the gospel. They, they kind of they think, well, I'm a pretty good person, and, I'm, and, and, and who does this guy think he is? Well, I think I'm just like you is what I am. But a man or a woman who's never made Jesus Lord, your spirit man separated from God. And if you've ever sinned, that means lied. Anybody in here never told a lie? Never, you never told a lie. Never stole anything, ink, pen, or otherwise. Never had an immoral thought. So the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now that presents a problem because that sin didn't just separate you from God. It killed you. It, your spirit man died because the only way for you to be alive is to be in fellowship with God. So I read this last week, and I want to read it again. Well, I'm going to read it. I'm going to say it a little different way here. I got this little book, um, the the blood of Jesus. No, I want you. I'm going to let's read this to you. And he he has a little section here on how um, sin affected God, not how it affected you, but how did it affect him? What was the effect of sin on God? In his divine nature, he ever remains unchanged and unchangeable. 
But in his relationship and bearing toward men, an entire change is taking place. Sin is disobedience. A contempt of the authority of God. It seeks to rob God of his honor. As God and Lord, sin is determined. Opposition to a holy God not only can but must awaken his wrath. A lot of times people don't understand that there is a holy side of God. In church, we hear a lot about his love, but we're all aware of his demands for living right. And we all are aware that we don't measure up. We're going to talk about what to do about that in a minute. That's what we're preaching on today. But we've got to talk a little bit about this first. While it, was God's de- while it was God's desire to continue in love and friendship with man, sin compelled him to become man's opponent. Although the love of God towards a man remains unchanged, sin made it impossible for him to admit man into fellowship with himself. Now that was the problem. So now all down through the ages, we have a holy God who's demanding righteousness, and we've got all of mankind who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has a problem. He loves us. And so his love drove him to do something about it, even though he has demanded perfection. There is where Jesus entered the picture. So he started, he got into a blood covenant with Abraham. And and we talked about this last week. He came to Abraham and said, I am the God and I want to cut a covenant with you. And Abraham said, okay, I'll do that. Now, he, Abraham got all the pigeon dove, the pigeons and the animals and cut the covenant. And God showed Abraham that he would one day cut the covenant. What he was doing was that he was getting a way back into the world. Now, you guys, if God gave the earth to Adam. The earth belongs to people, not God. You have to think this way. You don't think any other way. You just sort of God runs what he does, what he wants to. No, he doesn't. So God at the garden was on the outside looking back in. And Satan had come along and, and stolen Adam's authority. And the Bible calls him the God of the world. And if you don't believe that, turn on the news. Because we've not seen this much demonic activity. In this nation, in a while. But when people turn loose of God, they go nutso. And that's natural for a man. So we saw it in the the flood. God had about all of it and flooded the earth and said, I'll never do it again. So God used Abraham as a way to enter the earth. Because of a blood covenant, he had a right to a physical body. You understand the wisdom of God. It gave God an avenue because now he has a covenant with a man to enter. So he took on flesh and entered, and, and uh, the Jewish nation is a supernatural nation of people. It would not never been, hadn't been for the covenant. So God honored the covenant, but the covenant was, was the blood of bulls and goats and calves, and, but it, couldn't re, it could not redeem a man back to God. It could only cover the sin up giving God an opportunity to come. 
This is so powerful. This is the greatest love story that's ever been written, and the Hallmark don't know this. So when Jesus, Christmas is when God took on flesh and walked among us. Now, when we start talking about blood, the reason God demands blood is the life is in the blood. So God, when you sin, he demands life for that. Because the, you gotta pay, you got to pay for death with life. Yes. Now, so the, the value of the blood is the value of the, of the thing living. So, you know, a lizard has blood. But nobody's ever offered a lizard because they're kind of a worthless little creature. But to a Jew, a goat has value. So God demanded the, the, the life of that goat, and the way that you gave the life of that goat was to shed its blood. But a bull has more value than a goat. So the, the, the blood is, the, the value of the blood is based on the value of the sacrifice. So now let's ask the question, what is the blood of Jesus worth? There's no price because he's the one man that walked the earth that God said, this is my beloved son in whom I find no fault. He was a sinless, perfect man and his blood was priceless. So God paid for your speeding ticket with a gold bar. So the blood of Jesus is more valuable than anything else on the planet. So that was the thing that God used to neutralize sin. Now, I'm going to talk, now I'm going to show you what redemption means. Most of you, all the men in this church understand what I'm going to say, and and half the women. Maybe some of you women don't. Have you ever gone out and lifted the car and seen the battery post or covered in acid? You know what I'm talking about. That acid is eating that, that post up. It's, it'll, if you leave it, it'll eat the metal. It'll eat everything it comes in contact with. But you can go in your house and get baking soda, mix it with water, and pour it on that post. And it will totally neutralize the acid. The only substance that could completely neutralize sin was the blood of Jesus. So that when that blood is applied to your sin, it stops it completely, annihilates the sin, and stops its ability to affect you or harm you ever again. So we read the story here, and I want to show you this. I gotta, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going a little slower in this, sir. I'm trying to make something really, really plain to you. John 20, verse 14. I want you to see this. John 20. When we get done, you guys are going to get so free. You're going you're to get so happy, you're going to feel guilty about it. John 20, um, verse 14. Now, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She supposed he was the gardener and said, sir, where'd you carry him? Where have you laid him? And I'll take him away. And Jesus said, Mary. And he turned and says, Rabboni, which is a teacher. And he says, don't cling to me. Don't touch me. 
I have not ascended to my father and to your father, to my brethren. And say to them, I'm ascending to my father, your father, my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, to, came and told the disciples she saw the Lord. Right after that, he left and went somewhere. Where did he go? He went to heaven. Now, he'd already died and gone to hell, and he was risen from the dead. What was he about to do? He's about to take his blood into the holy of holies. Now, remember, up until now, the, 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 the throne of, you couldn't get in, you could not get in the presence of God. Nobody, no one ever entered his presence. The high priest only once a year, and they tied a rope to his feet. And he went in, and if he did anything wrong, he dropped stone cold dead, and they drug his body out. You didn't walk in the presence of God because he's holy. Listen, no one could approach him. Think about that for a minute. That's a holy God. But the moment that Jesus walked into the presence of God with his blood, not only was he accepted in the presence of God, but he went there as a man. He went there as mine and your representative man. And he walked in the throne and he took his blood and he took the judgment seat. The judgment seat was all of the laws that said thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And they condemned you to an eternal hell. And he spread his blood on, the, on that, and the judgment seat became a mercy seat. So that now, every man that's accepted Jesus as Lord and got in, we are now in the same blood covenant that Jesus himself entered into with his Father. Because you and I were dead in sin. But Jesus was alive because God raised him from the dead and accepted his sacrifice. So he's alive unto God and he's been made righteous. So God took a dead man, me. I was able to walk up to him and receive him as Lord and by the blood become one with him. And God sees me and Jesus as one person. And so because of the blood, God views me as perfect. That's why we just got through singing about the blood. That's the most powerful gift God ever gave to a man. You could take, listen, if Hitler, if Hitler on his deathbed said, Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I am wrong. I as you receive Jesus, the angels would have taken him straight to the throne as though he never did a thing wrong in his life. That's how powerful the blood is. Now in the world today, there are two groups of people. They're not black or white. Folks, if, if you're black, white, Spanish, Mexican, Puerto Rican, and you're a Christian, you're, there's a, you're one family. And all of the others, black, white, Puerto Rican, that are not saved, they're one family also. There's only two races. We're a new 
race based on the blood of Jesus. And we're a peculiar people. Are we not? Amen. All right. Now, this, this is powerful, guys. This, this is so awesome. All right. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5 now. Now, now we have an enemy. Say, poor dumb devil. Yeah, poor dumb devil. 1 Peter. I like the second. You guys are livelier than the first guys. I, I, Lisa, we got to pray over that first group. They just. I'm going to start praying the blood over them. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everybody. But he can if you're ignorant. If you don't know who you are or what belongs to you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something. And I'm going to show I'm going to prove it to you. If you're sitting in this room right this minute and, you, and you've ever prayed the prayer, Jesus, come in my heart, you are as perfect as Billy Graham. Amen. Now, you might be ignorant of that. You're not evolving as a Christian. You've arrived. You're complete. Now, because of your past and because of your flesh, Satan takes advantage of people. Okay, y'all are looking at me good. I love it. That's all right. Now, I'm going to read to you what adversary means. An adversary is a lawyer who is a prosecutor. A prosecutor, what does he do? He brings constant accusations using facts of past sins and mistakes. He reminds us of our failures and tells us that we deserve to be in the mess we're in. He wants us to feel unworthy and deserving of punishment and failure. The devil knows enough scripture to leave you feeling condemned. So that's the way he controls you is through guilt and shame. Now, all of us in this room have a certain guilt complex. We all do. Everybody does. Paul did. Kenneth Copeland does. Everybody on the planet carries around with them a certain amount of guilt because we understand we're not perfect. How then do we handle that? All right, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Just go ahead and get your shouting clothes on anytime you want to. It's all right. Verse, verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven says, Now salvation, talking about when Jesus rose from the dead, and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. This is not coming in the future. This has already happened. For the accuser of our brethren, that's the devil, who accused them before God day and night has been cast out. Since the resurrection of Jesus, God has not listened to that punk and talked to him one time. You remember the book of Job, Satan used to go before God? He had a legal right there. 
but not since Jesus rose from the dead. God has not had a conversation with him, and he will not have another one until he grabs that sorry little sucker and slings him into the lake of fire. But there's a problem. He's here. He's down here. That's why the Bible never says anything about what God will do about the devil, but tells you what to do about him. Now, we understand that he is called the accuser of the brethren. Now, what that means is he is constantly talking to you about your failures. This is robbing you of confidence in God. Book number two. Are y'all enjoying this? This is Mark Hankins' book. I, I love this book. If there's a fire in my house, grab my Mark Hankins' book and my Bible and leave. This thing, when I get out there, well, Lisa and I are going to be going out soon. And uh, I think um, Gene says we're out of them in the bookstore. I, because I'm reading this thing today, I know y'all are going to be going out looking for them. There aren't any. You can buy them on Amazon or you can wait because I'm going to see about getting us another big box of these. Jody and Michelle made a statement to me one day when I walked out and they said, are you going to be preaching and using that book? And I said, yes. And they went, that changed our lives. That was exciting for me to hear that they were reading it and the truth was setting them free. Okay, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Isaiah, don't, don't turn there in your Bible, just listen. Isaiah 32, 7. The work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Another definition of righteousness is the ability to stand before God without a sense of guilt, sin, or inferiority. In other words, there is no consciousness of sin. Sin consciousness destroys your faith. That is why the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He likes to bring up your past. He will bring up something you've done or something you should have done that you didn't do. How many of you have ever thought, I didn't pray enough? I miss church. Oh, he's talking about tithing and I don't. Well, if you don't have any seed in the ground, it ain't coming up. But it does not mean that there is any condemnation on you. There isn't. What you're doing is not making you right with God or what you're not doing. It's just that if you don't come to church, you're just ignorant. Because you're missing sermons that would set you free. Doesn't mean that God loves you. Doesn't mean you're more or less redeemed. It might mean you just don't know. Okay, do you see that? Okay. And then there's things that happen in church that don't have any other time. Do you, do you know what man, that man can never measure up? Not just in what we did, but what we should not have done. But in what we didn't do that we should have done. And the devil has always got something to bring up so that you feel you do not measure up. Sin consciousness destroys faith. It's a product of religion. However, righteousness consciousness is the product of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ is a revelation of righteousness. That means that as a born-again believer, you can stand before God without a sense of sin, guilt, or inferiority. Ever since Jesus shed his blood on the mercy seat, you and I 
can walk into the throne room of God, no condemnation, and get anything you want. The problem is we're not walking in because we've been rooted in sin consciousness. This is why you say, Pastor, pray for me. Because you think you're a stepchild. You're not. You, you have as, God loves you as much as he does Kenneth Copeland, as much as he does Jesus himself. God sees no difference. Because he paid the price for your sin and then he's chosen to look at the blood and not you. And because of that blood, he made you a new creation and he sees Jesus inside of you. And that's given you acceptance with God. But the, but the, the fact that your mind is not renewed to that causes you to duck and hide and to steer clear of God. Causes you to live in condemnation and there is no reason for it. You're as holy as you'll ever be. If Jesus is Lord, you're as holy now as you'll be in a thousand years of being with Jesus in heaven. You're as holy as Jesus himself. That will get you kicked out of most churches. Don't leave here. And go to your relatives and say, I'm as righteous as God. You will not be invited back to Thanksgiving dinner. Because they've been taught all their life there's none righteous, no, not one. That's true in the Old Testament. Paul did not say that talking to you. What he said was there's nobody righteous by keeping the law. But you are righteous if you're washed in the blood. So we're giving who the glory? God the glory, not yourself. We're not in here bragging on you because you've never done nothing. So if you were able to get born again by the blood, do you think it's possible God would do anything else for you? So why does he answer your prayer? Why did he answer it the day you wanted to get saved? The blood. Why does he answer it now? Because of the blood. Don't come in there talking about your problems. Talk to him about the blood. He don't want to know about your problems. Bring the blood to him. Father, I came here today and I want to talk to you and I've entered your gates with thanksgiving in my heart and I'm pleading the blood. He goes, you believe? Oh, okay, come on in. What do you want? Because you're asking him based on Jesus' life, not yours. And he'll do anything for Jesus. Anything. So that means he'd do anything for you. Everybody runs a little bit of a guilt temperature. Guilt says, I didn't do enough, I should have done. Psychologists have said if they could get rid of guilt, they would get rid of 80% of their patients. Guilt is what causes depression. If you think that there's no hope for tomorrow, you're depressed. But the only reason you think there's no hope is because you're looking at yourself in the light of tomorrow. Don't look at yourself. You look at the fact that Jesus Christ said he would answer your prayers based on, so you do not have a hopeless situation facing you. The source of depression and most mental problems is a sense of guilt and shame. No matter what has happened, whether it was your fault or someone else's, the devil will somehow manage to make you f- sure you feel bad about it. 
It may be things or people you don't even know. The devil is constantly trying to produce guilt because of sin consciousness destroys faith. When you get in an argument with a person out of fellowship with God, they will always blame you for their problem. You can't receive it. They say, well, you didn't do so-and-so. Yeah, you're right. What, is that, what are they trying to do? They're, they're trying to hide their guilt by accusing you. That's the devil. Their guilt, that because they're guilty, they're, they're preaching guilt. And they're preaching it to everyone around them because my life is messed up and it's your fault. And folks, I just fixed your marriage problems. Because if your spouse is feeling guilty, the devil is whooping up on your spouse and you need to go pray for your spouse. That's why they're being ugly. Thank you for your Just Just take authority over the devil. Not your wife. The devil. Sin consciousness makes you not want to talk to God because you know He knows, we know, and everybody in the church knows. You might think, I don't want to pray because you feel disqualified or unworthy. You really have no expectation of a blessing. Sin consciousness leaves you in a state continuing to try to be accepted by God. But the gospel brings you into a state of perfect standing with God. This does not happen based on what you have done. It's based solely on the blood of Jesus. Let me finish reading this. Guilt and shame leave you feeling unworthy with no confidence towards God. In order to restore you to perfect fellowship with God, God had to prove his love while you were still sinners. So Christ died for you through the blood of Jesus, the blood of his cross, Clear communication was established. God had to do something to remove your guilt and produce a righteousness consciousness inside of you and to restore you with him to perfect fellowship. Now let's read Romans 8 now. Who will lay a charge against God's elect? It was God who made you righteous. Who is he condemning you? It is Christ that died Yea, rather, rose and is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you. Who is he condemning you? It isn't God. The condemnation you're experiencing, the guilt you're experiencing, is not coming from the Holy Ghost. So how do you overcome? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Now, I'm going to read another book, so y'all just hold on. We're in book day today, so y'all just, if you walk out there, say, he didn't preach nothing. He just read books like we were children. Okay, that's fine. I won't, I won't do it all the time, but I got to do it today. Now, this is another little book, The Authority of the Believer, and this is a little section in here. Years ago, when Cindy Duval gave this book to Lisa, I stole it. I'll prove it to you. Lisa, true woman of the spirit, stay close. Cindy Duval. I stole this book. This book set me so free. Because I don't know about you, but I'm very conscious of living right. Aren't you? I want to live the best I can. 
and I'm con- because I don't always do it right, I have a tendency to be rough on myself. Am I the only person in here that does this? I think all of us do this. We all think, ah, oh, I screwed up that. Oh, I screwed that up. Next thing you know, you're beating yourself up. That's fine. Nothing wrong with you wanting to live right, but you're never going to get good enough to get a prayer answered. I got my best prayer answered when I was a sinner. I had never been in church. I'd never tithed. I'd never done nothing. I got healed and born again, and I was a sorry, good for nothing, lousy dog because of the blood. So nothing's changed. I have to constantly remind myself it's Jesus. God is fixing to answer this prayer not based on the fact that I pastored or that sometimes I don't do so good. You know, the scariest person in this building to me is me. I scare myself. I know more of my faults than Lisa. That's why I don't need her to tell them to me. How many of y'all feel the same way? You know what you, 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 you already know you. Now, the devil knows that you love God and he knows you want to live right. He know, And he uses it against you to condemn you with it. You ready to read? On the other, okay, no, that's not it. The first lesson a personal we must learn is the significance of the term Satan. It means adversary. And come to understand why one of his titles is the accuser of the brethren. In Zechariah 3.1, he came to stand before the angel of Jehovah. He found Satan standing at the right hand to be his adversary. So will the spiritually energetic child of God. A Christian will encounter a constant stream of accusations in his own heart. And they will trouble him until he discovers that the purpose of the enemy is to turn you in upon yourself. Do you all see that? And he's doing that successfully. Christians, you beat yourself too much. Did the blood wash you? Is it perfect? Yes. Is, is God finished with the job? Yes. yes. Then you need to stop beating yourself and enjoy what Jesus did. Start enjoying your life. Y'all, I'm, I'm just... These will trouble him until he understands the purpose of the enemy is turn himself upon himself and draw him down from a place of perfect faith. He learns to overcome him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb. That is to say, he presents the blood to the devil as the only answer to the accusations of his soul. He speedily learns a further use of the divine provision. 
The blood represents not only the cleansing from guilt and the power of sin, it is also the witness of the overwhelming victory gained at Calvary by virtue of which the Lord is now seated on high. Once this is grasped, the believer sees that he no longer has to fight against his foe. He simply holds over his head an already accomplished triumph, the authority which he now shares. That means that when he comes and says, are you guilty? Don't say yes and don't say no. Plead the fifth. You can't say guilty because now you've condemned yourself. You can't say not guilty. That's a lie. So what do you say? Because you have an attorney in a courtroom before God bringing up your faults. And now you've got to answer the judge of the universe who's waiting to see what it is you've got to say about the fact that this accuser has brought accusations against you before God. So God turns to you and says, what do you have to say? And you look at God and go, I plead the blood. And Jesus walks up beside you and says, I agree. He belongs to me. He is mine. He's been made righteous by my blood. And God says, not guilty. And you walk out totally free. Are y'all getting this? How often should we do this? Honey, every day. I did something for y'all. I asked Bobby to bring y'all some communion elements up here. This is for you at the end of the service. If you want to walk up, this is not condemnation elements. This is for you to walk up and go, Heavenly Father, right now I remember that the only thing you've ever asked from me is for me to put my faith in the blood of Jesus. And so I'm going to take communion to remind you and me that I'm right with you. Take communion and leave with a blessing of God on your life. Isn't this good? Now you understand why I had to read you out of all these books that I got. (laughs) I got a lot more to read to you, but anyway. Hebrews chapter 9. Isn't this awesome? Every time, now, now, now let's stop and talk about healing for a minute. Let's get into this. The book of, Revela- book of Isaiah, I've read Isaiah 53 uh, hundreds of times. And every time I read it, I'm reading about the healing and reading about the healing and reading about the Isaiah 53 is not about healing. What's it about? It's about God taking the blood of Jesus and annihilating sin. What is sickness? It's a byproduct of sin. Well, what happens if the sin is gone? Do y'all understand that the cross, 
l- listen, we, we have so messed this up. It says he was bruised for your iniquity. What does that mean? Sin. And by those bruises, you are healed. You're not trying to get healed. If the blood of Jesus has washed you, you are healed by faith in Jesus Christ. It belongs to you. As a matter of fact, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. How much? None. The blood did the job. If you're good enough to go to heaven, you're good enough for heaven now. We are living way below our privileges. And the reason we are is sin consciousness. You're looking at what you did and didn't do. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. What about that? And you're trying to get your faith up. You don't need to get your faith up. All you need to do is just start shouting about the blood. I tell you this. Listen, I'm the pastor, and I deal with guilt. <gasps> Don't fall out of your chair. <laughs> but I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Hey, devil, I plead the blood. And then I might sing a blood song. What can wash away my sin? I don't sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why I wanted them to sing it, because I want y'all to sing it. I want you to sing it this week. I want you to walk around going, I sing about the blood. I sing about the blood. I'm going to sing about the blood. All right. Where did I say go? Nine. Hebrews nine. Hebrews nine. Does this help y'all? Is this? And we're just getting started. We are just getting started. Hebrews 9, 11. Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, this creation. Not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood. He entered the holy place once, having obtained eternal, how long? Forever. Redemption. If the blood of a bull and a goat and the ashes of a heifer and sprinkling the unclean sacrifice for the pure in the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death 
for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. It's already begun. Verse 22, according to the law, all things are purified without blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year make those who approach perfect. Can't do it. Under the Old Testament, nobody was made perfect. They offered a goat and they left a sinner. But it was a type and a shadow of what God would do. They should have seen this. And they missed the Messiah because they thought he was going to come whoop the Romans, not come die on the cross. By a, okay, no. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Verse 14. For by one offering, he perfected. Say, he made me perfect. He made me perfect. I don't, the devil, I mean, you ought to just shove that down his throat. Well, pastor, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not talking about your body and your mind. You're a spirit. If you will, if you will listen to this, you will start fighting your battles from victory. You can't walk in love without walking with God, and you can't walk with God in condemnation, and you can't walk in condemnation until your sins are forgiven. And once your sins are eliminated, you can turn around and walk with God. And if you'll walk with Him, you'll start acting like Him. But He's got to get you to walk with Him again. So therefore, He had to fix your problem. Do y'all see that? And it's free. I wished I knew this the day I got saved, but I didn't. It takes a while. So you live all of your life trying, you know, living and living for God and messing up and, you know, dealing with the devil, and, and nobody tells you this. You come to church, you love God, and nobody's ever told you how to deal with that little punk. I plead the blood, buddy. <laughs> Are you all Okay. For by one offering he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit witnesses to us. And after he said, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And he said, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember them no more. He thinks you're perfect. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The greatest gift that was ever handed to you was the ability to walk in the throne room of God and ask him anything you want. Anything. Anything. 
That's absolutely incredible. That means we no longer need Benny Hinn. The world does. But the church does not. As a matter of fact, you can tell your neighbor, you don't even need to go see Benny. Come over to my house, I'll pray for you. I got so many stories I want to tell y'all. I was out at the airport one day, and I don't know who Benny Hinn's pastor was now, but I, I guess he had a guy pastor in his church because he's not a pastor. So this man looked at me and said, see that man over there? That's Benny Hinn's pastor. Well, I made a beeline and walked over there and introduced myself. Is that all right? Yeah, it is. And when I got finished talking to him for a few minutes, I turned around, walked back to my airplane. And he said, who do you think you are? Do you know who he is? And I said, do you know who I am? Amen. That's right. Yes, amen. You, you need to learn that. Yes, that's true. Do you know who I am? That's right. <laughs> I didn't make me this arrogant. The Bible did. Are y'all out there as you go home? I mean, get a good image of you. You're not junk. Number one, don't talk to yourself that way. And number two, don't let people talk to you like that. People want to treat you ugly, just look at them and go, I don't think so. I don't know who you think you're talking to, but you ain't talking to me. You know, President Trump should meet me. It would be a great day for him. He should meet you. He'll get to one day. Oh boy, I'm going to put you in there. I'll tell you. Sure. Are y'all getting this? All right, I, I'm going to read some confessions because I got to, the clock is ticking. And even though I told you we don't go by it. In the back of his book here, um, Mark Hankins wrote a bunch of blood scriptures out. I turned them into confessions. And I tried so hard to read all of them in the last one, and I just probably got read too much. Now, listen to this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by grace through the redemption that's in Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation, the mercy seat, through faith in the blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, and through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that I might be just, that he might be just and the justifier of me because I believe in Jesus. Who will separate me from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famineness, naked, peril or sword, glock? Nay, in all of these things, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I am persuaded. That neither death nor life nor angel nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall ever separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm taking my Bible and I'm changing it from y'all to me. It's written to me. When you read it that way, it becomes real to your heart. That's true. All right, let's read one more. Having made peace through the blood of the cross 
by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him I say whether things on earth or in heaven. And I who was sometimes alienated and an enemy in my mind by wicked works, now has he reconciled and in the body of his flesh through death he has presented me holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Do you all see that? Do you think reading the Bible that way would actually help you out? Yeah. Now, what I've done today is I've given you a cold snack of truth. Well, it was really a hot meal. All right. But you're not going to be able to live on one hot meal. The, day, the times that we're living in, if you want to walk in victory, you're going to have to learn about the blood of Jesus. And you're going to have to find out about righteousness. It's not natural for you to believe this because it's not a feeling. Righteousness does not have a feeling. I may feel terrible, but it doesn't, that doesn't mean that's who I am. And we're so accustomed to the way we feel. And the world around us is crazy. You get involved in that mess. You're going to go crazy with them. But what would happen if God, God could get you established in righteousness? What would happen to you? How many prayers did Jesus get answered? Why don't we? That's a, that's a heavy statement. Do you know why? Because you see him as perfect and you see yourself as imperfect. It's the way Satan trains you to see yourself. This book, not this book, but the Bible, is the only book that will bring you out of that and cause you to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. And until you see it, you won't walk in it. You're not doing anything You're not becoming better. You're just getting smarter. So Paul's prayers in the book of Ephesians was not that God would do something for you, but that you would come to know what he did. Peter was a loudmouth loser. Paul was a murdering Pharisee. Mary Magdalene was a hooker. And God used him mightily. And he's going to use you too. But once they grasped, once Peter grasped what Jesus did, he walked down the street, his shadow healed people. It wasn't that he was more anointed than you are. It's just that he got a hold of this. He went, oh my God, I've been made the righteousness of God. The blood did it. The blood did what? What we Jews, now here's the problem that Jews have. Are y'all ready? Here's, the, here's their argument. We kept the law. We did sacrifices. We kept Sabbaths. And now a Gentile can get in on this in one prayer? And Paul's argument is, yes. You did nothing. 
And that's why the Jews don't like you. <laughs> I'm going to sit here for a minute. That's a heavy thought. You remember the story in the Bible where Jesus said he hired a guy at 9 o'clock in the morning and said, go out and, and, and I'll pay you a day's wages? And then he found a guy and paid at noon and he paid him a day's wages? Then he hired a guy at 4 o'clock and he paid him a day's wage. So the guy at 9 thought he'd get more and he said, no. That story was telling the Jews there are Gentiles that are going to get this on the deathbed and did nothing. They get the same wage as you did, and you guys did all the work, and they did nothing. And they, that upset them really bad. That's why they nailed Jesus to the cross. That's the reason why they hated Paul. Because Paul was preaching that a Gentile can get in on, on nothing but the blood. And they said, excuse us? We've been doing all this? All that you've ever done in your life. Thank God for it. But this morning, you can go in the throne room and get anything you want. Not because you're good or bad. Just walk up and take communion and go to prayer. God will meet you. It says, I will meet you at the judgment seat. I'll meet you at the mercy seat. You, 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 you bring the blood, and he'll meet you there. Well, that was last week's sermon. How many of y'all this helps you? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that Jesus shed his blood for me. That means I'm standing before you now as righteous as Jesus Christ. Hey, devil, I plead the blood. No more accusations. No more guilt. No more shame. You will not stop me from everything God desires for me. My only answer to you is the blood of Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given me authority over all the work of the enemy. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.